0: I sought for your forgiveness for a failure that had happened in my life haunted by a memory that wouldn't let me live in peace Lord let your mercy end this pain and strife I could tell you had forgotten talking about. You were not even bothered by what was bringing me down. I saw grace sin forever Just one drop of your blood How it was bringing me down
1: Well, good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who chooses to forgive and forget because of the Lord Jesus, and we're very, very grateful for that today. Thank you that you're a God of grace and that we are just recipients of your kindness today. And we pray as we look into your word that um, this truth will just come out all the more and remind us of just what a wonderful God you are, for we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Good song. Last night I was at a praise, what was called a gospel fest, and gave a little short message. And uh, it was a nice time of about 120 or so folks from different backgrounds, but all brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, red or yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. And it was awesome to be with a group of believers from the Oakland area who, uh, I'll tell you, I clapped more in last night than I think I have in three months, you know, and just... With the songs that we were singing, and it was really an awesome time. And I was thinking, well, what a great thing it is that God loves music, uh, that He loves singing. And, um, matter of fact, it says that the stars sang as He was uh, creating the world in Genesis chapter 38, and as He was forming creation. So it's really a marvelous thing. I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel 9. We are going to read the story today about someone who was invited to the table. That's the theme this morning, invited to the table. Verse 1, then David said, is there yet anyone left? of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Michar, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Michar, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant, Ziba, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and into all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce, so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So the Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Well, this is a powerful story. And this month, toward the end of the month, many of us will be gathering around a certain table. Don't worry, Adel, this isn't going to be a Thanksgiving message. (laughs) I wouldn't do that to you. I know that's not kind. (laughs) But we will be around a table. And some of us will be in homes. But the issue here is is there isn't going to be so much the place or even the menu that matters when we're gathered around the table. It's the gathering around the table with whom we're with that matters, isn't it? It doesn't matter where we are, but who we're with. And many times, and often, ca- if the case allows, we'll be with family and friends that we, we know and we love. And if you started to read and get some pictures here in, in this story of Second Samuel, you can see that this is a fascinating story of an incredible act of kindness to this young man who has this disability, and he didn't expect in a million years that he would be invited. He would get an invitation from a king for a dinner invitation nonetheless. And for that matter, it wouldn't just be a once-off invitation, but it would be a continual one. He didn't expect that. And that was just the beginning, this initial invite. You see, I think we'll see, and I hope that we see as we leave here in the next few minutes, that we'll see as this story develops, and as we've already read, that you and I are like that young man. And the king is a picture of God. And we'll see ourselves, I trust, at the end of this message in a way that will stir us to love and appreciate the Lord Jesus more deeply because of how he receives us. And so really, it's really a simple three-part kind of deal this morning. It's a table of invitation in the first four verses, and it's a table of kindness in verses five to eight, and then a table that identifies us in a very special way in verses nine to thirteen. And so the invitation, verse 1, David asked this question. And I don't know if you remember when I was speaking here the last few months, I've been talking a lot about David because we've been doing a study in that series back in our church. And so David is this very godly man. He wasn't without fault, but he had a heart for God. And he was this really special guy. And he said, you know what? He goes, I want to show a great love. And because he had made a covenant with Saul, he says, "You know what I want to. I want to uh, ask." He says, "I'm going to ask this question." Now, the interesting thing is, that Saul had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And I was thinking, you know, that's a tough word to say a number of times today, but his name is Mephibosheth. And I don't know if you've heard of him or not, and I don't know if, as Jonathan was raising him, how he named him, if he called him Myth, or maybe it was you know, Fib, or that doesn't sound right, or Sheth. You know, I just kind of was working through this text, and I was thinking, I wonder how he nicknamed him, because to say Mephibosheth a number of times is kind of a tough deal, and I'm going to maybe stumble over it a little bit, but I think I've practiced enough. He shows this great kindness, because if you understand the context, Saul was a rascal, to say it mildly. Saul was trying, if you remember some of the things I've shared, he was trying to kill David. And the thing, the pattern would normally be that rather than showing kindness to anyone left in the house of Saul, what the pattern typically would be is you'd say, you know what, I've got to wipe out whoever is left in that kingdom of Saul just in case he ever wants to overtake. So rather than, in a sense, showing kindness, you would think, you know what, I'm going to show revenge. But David doesn't do that. He asks this question, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He had made a covenant with Jonathan that he would not harm him or anyone from his family. And so you say, well, that was the reason for the invitation. To whom can I show God's kindness for Jonathan's sake? David had remembered that relationship, and he remembered that covenant with Jonathan. And Jonathan had said this, do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. And David honored that. And then we see in verses 2 to 4 that David's motivation was to do this very act of kindness. And so he calls this servant of his named Ziba. And he says, you know what, I don't know where he is, but find this descendant of Saul so that he can show him the same kindness that God has shown him. David was a recipient of of the king's grace, our father's grace, and so David wanted to show that. And then if you think about it, you and I, we come into the presence of God the Father not because of any personal merit that we've done. God doesn't show his kindness to us because we basically are good. The Bible says exactly the contrary. We are not good. Romans 3 says there is no one good, not one. When the Father shows his kindness to us, it's not because of any personal merit we have done. Matter of fact, Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And that's the very thing that he has done. Now we look at uh, verse chapter 9, and we verse see verse 3. The king said, Is there yet not anyone of, of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And, and Ziba says to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? David didn't know because he was in hiding. And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And if you go back to chapter 4 of Samuel, you say, well, you know what? I'm just kind of curious. How did this guy, who maybe is new to some of you, Mephibosheth, was it that he was crippled in the first place? And in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Israel, and his nurse took him up and fled. Because they expected, of course, that what's going to happen is, is we got to flee because death is coming. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. She understood the consequences of what had happened, that Saul had died, and so had Jonathan in a battle. And so now everyone is scurrying because now David is going to take uh, revenge, and this is what he might do. Any potential error is, in fact, a, is going to be possibly a victim. And so he gets crippled in this context. He may have already been lame to start with, but what happened in his fall was is he, it made it worse. And so this man is is lame. And David finds that he has no home and that he's hiding in this house in Makir. And Makir means sold. And the interesting thing about the word Lodabar is it means no pasture where he's staying. So it's a picture, even in his location, and even in the location of who he's staying with. It's a picture of a helpless and hopeless soul living in a burden, in a barren land, and he's being sold under sin. And so then when we read verses 5 and 6 as we did, there's this incredible act of kindness that comes on the part of King David. And David has him brought to his quarters. It says in verse 5 Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir and the son of Emiel from Lodabar. Now you can just imagine you're Mephibosheth. you're crippled, you're lame, you're in hiding. You don't really know this King David. You may maybe have heard about him from your father Jonathan and from your grandfather Saul, but whatever you heard from Saul probably wasn't a good thing because Saul went from kind of getting more twisted and twisted and bent on destruction as time went on. There was times where he kind of seemed like he was going to get off this hobby horse of wanting to kill David only to make it worse. And he basically went insane, it seems, with envy and jealousy because David one day was going to be king. So with Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, is there and he gets this news that the king has sent for me. He wants to see me. Can you imagine if you were Mephibosheth and all of a sudden you're in hiding and you think David has no idea where you are and then you hear, and you maybe peek out the door there a little bit and there's David's servants. Ziba is there. You know, he must have thought to himself, man, I, kn- I knew this day was coming. I don't know how long he was hiding from the t- age of five, as crippled to the time that this came. But he said, man, all this time I've been able to be away from the king. And I've lived in this barren land. But at least, at least from his perspective, at this point, I've been safe. Maybe I didn't have as much privilege as I could have had. But I haven't had to worry about, his, about my life. He must have thought, why now? In a sense, maybe, why me? What what could possibly be the reason? Is he now going to kill me? You know, we have these reactions sometimes, too, of fear, don't we? Whenever the boss says, can you come and see me? (laughs) Usually there's a reaction of, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is he going to praise me, or is she going to praise me, or is it going to be just the opposite? I remember one day the news broke at my department a few years ago at the police department that someone that afternoon was going to be terminated. And the scuttlebutt started. And you know the funny thing? I was thinking, I haven't done anything, have I? <laughs> I was thinking, is it me? You know, And somebody said, you have a guilty conscience. <laughs> and I said... Well, no, i I, I don't it can't be me, and, and it was all this mystery, and then the person sadly was arrested and actually is in San Quentin today for something they did. But Bebesheth was fearful, and probably we could say, understandably so. You know, one day God is going to call for us, isn't he? A greater king, a greater king than David. And the thing is, if you don't know him, you're probably, and rightly, rightly so, should have a degree, an understandable degree of fear over that. Because you may not know, well, what is he going to say? What's he going to say to me? What, what's going to happen there when I have my appointment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And you don't need to turn to it. But just two verses to consider if you're here today, and the idea of meeting the king brings you fear. It's found in Revelation, verses 11 and 12, and I read these verses, uh, they're sober verses. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And reading on just a bit, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. Understandable fear when I read those verses, if you're in a place where you're not sure of what the king is going to say to you on that day. And we'll go into this a little bit more later. Well, what did Mephibosheth do? Well, when the king called for him, and he brought him into his presence, what did it say? He fell on his face to pay him honor. Interesting, up to this point, David never had a relationship with Mephibosheth. And it was because Mephibosheth wanted it that way, because he was in fear of the king. But they were unfounded fears, as we're going to realize, and as we're going to see here, because David wasn't going to do anything in any way that was going to be harmful. Notice verses 7 and 8, again, of the text. David said to him, do not fear. And isn't it an awesome thing today, if you're in a position where you're in that privileged place where you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you you can take comfort in these words, do not fear. Because of this, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? What well, we see from this that rather than being fearful, Mephibosheth had every reason not to be Because David said he's going to promise to show him kindness for his father's sake. And not only that, he said, I promise to restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. Now, I don't know, if you were Mephibosheth, you might have been thinking, wait a second, I'm not hearing this correctly. You know, this this can't be. And yet it was. Mephibosheth knew about this land. He must have known about this land. But he was afraid to take possession of it. Because if he did that, then he'd be exposed and they would see him so he would have to kind of come out of hiding, which would be a problem. David didn't have to do this. David didn't have to to show this kind of kindness. And then, marvelously, wonderfully, he promises to include him at his table regularly. He was going to have a close relationship with the king now. Now, maybe it doesn't strike you in this sense, and the analogy falls far short but imagine if you received a phone call next week and whoever the president is going to be, we, I think we have some ideas, but whoever the president's going to be, all of a sudden contacted you and, and said, you know what, I want to I show kindness to you, and, 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 I, and you know what, I want to invite you to the White House, and you know, for that matter, you're going to come have dinner with me, but it's not going to just be once off, it's going to be regularly. The access to the White House is yours. Now, you may be excited by that, and you might say, well, I'd rather decline the invitation. (laughs) My analogy falls short if you have that reaction, but it would be a place of privilege because of who that person is in the place of the presidency. He promises to include him at the table regularly. And the amazing thing is, is Mephibosheth even though he had this descendant of his grandfather Saul and his dad Jonathan, whom had a special relationship, an incredible special relationship with David, he didn't feel worthy of that kindness. Rather than saying, well, yeah, it is kind of, it's what is my due, thank you, you know, uh, just been kind of waiting for this day in a sense of, you know, it took you this long. He didn't have that reaction at all. He fell prostrate, and he said, you know what? How is it that you regard a dead dog? Worthless and insignificant. He probably understandably felt that way because all those years of hiding in fear and in poverty, he probably got to the point of saying, you know, I am just an absolutely worthless creature. I'm crippled. Back in those days, there wasn't uh, access to crutches like we have now you know, that can even be raised at the degree we need them. There weren't wheelchairs and ones that are motorized for that. When you were in that state of being crippled and lame, you were in that poor state, absolutely vulnerable, without, in a sense, anything else you could do, totally relied upon or reliant upon others for help. And David says all of this good news to somebody who saw himself as a dead dog. And I imagine if we could have been there watching, as the angels may have been watching, probably tears were streaming down his face. Tears of what? Relief and joy that this was now how the king saw him and wanted to include him. All the regrets, all the bitterness, all the fear that which he had had, evaporated just like that in this atmosphere At David's table and in his presence, this atmosphere of love. And like Jenny was saying today, acceptance. And now he was surrounded in that. Everything was different. I'll bet you even that dinner tasted better than any meal he'd ever had before. It probably tasted totally different. And I wonder as I'm going here, if you're starting to see, you know what, there's some analogies here that I can pick up from King David as God my father. And Mephibosheth, that's what I'm like, that's what I was, and what the king has done for me. You and I, and certainly Mephibosheth, had a new identity. He had a new belonging. Verses 9 and 13 bring that out. All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. and You shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless... Your master's grandson shall eat at my table regularly. And so he now has servants and so forth. What was going to happen? Ziba, his son, and his servants will work the land for him. He couldn't do that. And yet David appointed Ziba and his sons to do this. And as he said this amazing thing, he said, you're going to eat at the table like one of the king's sons. That's beautiful. It's unbelievable, really. Mephitta Shemata thought, how can this be? My grandfather, how he treated you, how he wanted to kill you. Yeah, I know you had this close relationship with my dad, but I am from the house of Saul. How are you going to show me? Why are you showing me this kindness? And now, rather than having lived in hiding and out among in in that Lodabar where he was, he's now living among God's people. Is there not a better picture of God's grace and what he's done for us and how we see this story with David and Mephibosheth? It's a picture of God's grace. John Newton said these words. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things quite clearly. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Christ is a great savior. John Newton said that in that wonderful movie, Amazing Grace. And Jenny sang it, and I understand how the context. I could tell you had forgotten what I was talking about. God chooses to do that for us. We are hiding. Poor, weak, fearful, and lame before the king came to us, huh? That was our state. Matter of fact, you, Matt, Laura's a uh, good friend who's here with us as well. I forgot to mention you, Matt. He and I are doing a study in Genesis at the moment. And it's really sad, isn't it, that when Adam and Eve realized that they had sinned, that the reaction to that was to hide. It was to immediately hide and realize, oh, we're naked. And to go hiding from God. And God had to say, although he knew the answer, he said, where are you? They never had, had to hide before that time when sin had entered into the world and they had disobeyed God. And of course, they tried to sew themselves <laughs> up with fig leaves. I often thought how ineffective that must have been. Fig leaves, you know, and just hiding. And then God shows his grace even there, and he slaughters an animal, and he covers them with a clothing from an animal, a picture of Jesus. You and I were hiding. We were poor. We were weak. And in that sense, for us to understand that, we had to come to the place where we had to humble ourselves before God and say, I am not worthy of your presence. We were separated from our king, as I said, because of our family tree of Noah, or sorry, of Adam and Eve. And we were separated from our king because of our willful actions. I think you and I know that if we'd been in the garden, we probably would have done the very same thing. Just a matter of time. There's a hymn that is sung, Lord, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All we like sheep, Isaiah says, like sh- all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We separated ourselves from our king because we didn't know him. Before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ, you probably had some ideas of what he was like. And maybe today you have ideas of what you think a relationship with God is like. And sadly, what happens is sometimes it's the father of lies, the devil himself, who is feeding that. That this is what God is like. Has he misquoted what God had said to Adam and Eve? He doesn't represent him. He doesn't speak for our father. He speaks fathers. He's the father of lies. And in him, there is no truth, only deceit. He wishes only yours and my destruction. And so this morning, if you don't know him, you may be actually hearing from the enemy of our souls who's saying, if you become a Christian, this is what life is going to be like. And it's a total misrepresentation of the truth of what's in the word of God, of what it's like problems? Yes. Will there be struggles? Yes. But you have a God who will be with you through those trials and those struggles. Now that we know him and now that we're we're growing in our relationship with as his followers, don't you just love him more? As you as you think about his grace, how every single day he lavishes us with his love and with his grace. He didn't just say here you get an appetizer You know, he gave Mephibosheth this wonderful meal, King David. I can only imagine what a meal it was. And God doesn't just give us little chintzy bits, but he gives them himself in all his fullness. Another thing is, is our king sought us out before we sought him. Mephibosheth was there, happy as Larry, as far as he could know it, in his misery, and then... The servant, Ziba, is saying, the king wants to see you. I imagine all of us at one point, we we can identify, maybe the king in his grace was on a number of occasions calling, drawing us to himself. Sometimes we missed it. Maybe sometimes we just simply rejected it and said, no. I don't know how we kind of do that. But we then responded. The spirit drew us. If you don't know the Lord Jesus today, I I suspect because God desires that no one perish, that he is knocking and he wants a relationship with you. He is seeking you out. It would be folly to leave these doors today, not having received that invitation. And you know what? You know why? Why is he this kind to us? Why does he want to bless us like he does richly every single day? This is our God. King's kindness is based on his covenant. He'd made a covenant to Jonathan that he would not do any harm. Mephibosheth may not really have understood that, and that's why he was in fear. God has made a covenant and a promise to us as well that he's going to keep us forever. He's given us the seal of his Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians, and we never have to worry now, as his children, that he's ever going to kick us out of his presence, that he's ever going to banish us from this home that we were singing about in our opening hymn. This is is true. What we were singing today from that hymn is that it's already occurred. It's coming. That home in heaven for us is is the real deal. You and I must receive the king's kindness, and it must be received with humility. Someone said, you know, if you want to believe that Jesus stuff and you need that crutch, fine for you. And I say, you know what, I don't need a crutch. I needed a stretcher. That was my situation. Wheel me in. You know, I'm not getting there because of my efforts, not even in a sense on a crutch that I can do myself. Jesus isn't a crutch. He's my savior. And if I have to be wheeled in on a stretcher to show how needy I am, so be it. If that's the picture I want to give And we are received as sons at the king's table, and you and I have direct access to the king. Like Mithibosheth, now considered as one of his sons, that kind of intimacy and love and acceptance and fellowship, relationship you and I have today, it's for the taking if we so choose to. And we have a new identity, and I love this. Lameness isn't what characterizes us anymore. Mithibosheth, when he sat at the table, I don't believe he saw his lameness any longer. I don't think he saw his crippledness, but he saw the place of privilege that he was in and being in the king's table. I love this song that I've been learning recently, and it's, I believe, taken from the story of 2 Samuel 9, and there's just a couple of words that bring this point out. That says, wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall. And you can take that, the fall that he had as a cripple. We can understand it, what happened in the garden broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone, summoned by the king into the master's courts, lifted by the Savior and cradled in his arms. I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong, carried to the table, swept away by his love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord, fighting thoughts of fear and wondering why he called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? This world has left me lame. Even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. In his holy presence, I'm healed and unashamed. I'm carried to the table. Carried to the table. Someone has said being a Christian isn't just a matter of getting something. It's a matter of being someone. And you and I today who know the Lord Jesus are someone in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. And you know what? It's not because we deserve it. It's not because uh, there's anything in us that's worthy. It's because we're trophies of God's grace. When God brings us into the table and he carries us to the table, this table that's a picture of being in his presence and fellowship forever. He receives the glory and praise. When you read portions of Scripture in Isaiah, you said, you see, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, God does this so that he receives glory and honor, and he does that by showing his kindness to you and I. Someone also said our deepest identity is a saint, a spiritually born child of God, a divine masterpiece, a child of light, a citizen of heaven. So today, think about it. Think of the awesome place of privilege you have by having been invited to the table of the Lord. The kindness that God the grace that God has showered upon you in your lameness and in mine, but that's not how He sees us any longer. He now sees us as one of his sons, as one of his daughters. I trust today as we leave, we'll want to just be absolutely overflowing with grace and gratitude. As we enter into November, as we think about this season of thanks, that we will simply want to live and glorify and honor him in everything we do. And if you're in a place today, like I've said, where you're not sure, you're not sure about what it'll be like to be in front of the king, and you fear judgment, You fear your sin because you understand the Bible says without the penalty of sin, or sorry, for the penalty of of sin is death. The soul who sins will die. Hebrews 9 says that it's appointed for man to die once. After this comes judgment. That you want to make yourself right with the king. The king wants a relationship with you. But it's on the terms of understanding that you need a savior. You need the Lord Jesus. You need to be forgiven of your sin and have that blood shed for you. Let's give thanks. Pray. Lord, we want to thank you today that you have indeed carried us uh, to the table. We recognize God before you knew we knew you. We were lame. We were helpless. We couldn't get into your presence on our own effort. We needed to be, in fact, carried. And we want to thank you for the arms of the Lord Jesus. We want to thank you for the fact that he went to a cross and he died for us, and he shed his blood. And we want to thank you that you're a gracious God today. We pray that we will just marvel at this, that we will live lives this coming week that will be, bring honor and glory to you. I pray that, God, if you speak to us this week about someone we can show kindness to, maybe someone if we, that we think of in one sense as an enemy, and yet... We pray that we'll show the kindness that David showed to someone he very well could have killed. Father, we just pray for you that you'll bless us and watch over us for the rest of this day, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.